0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Vince Moffat, owner and CEO of Basin Health and Hospice Companies. As a CEO of a large healthcare company, retired battalion chief from the Farmington, New Mexico Fire Department, and incident management chief of Team Rubicon Rescue, Vince has over 30 years of crisis leadership, emergency disaster response, and instructional experience. He has been responding to and teaching fire rescue and EMS since 1991. The basin health companies include several businesses specializing in home healthcare, from skilled care to homemakers, leadership, disaster, and emergency response are Vince's passions and believes in constantly developing and growing as a leader. A perpetual student, Vince is a board member of the Farmington Chamber of Commerce, Basin Good Neighbor Foundation, San Juan United Way, and the New Mexico Association of Home and Hospice Care. He's a Farmington, New Mexico native and has raised his three children, Natasha, Shayla, and Asa in his beautiful community. Vince Moffitt, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brian. It's really good to be here with you. Oh, great to have you here. I know we had to reschedule once or twice, uh, but great to catch you today. What part of the planet are you on uh, this fine day? Um,
1: I'm actually sitting in my office in beautiful Farmington, New Mexico, up in the four corners of the U.S. We're, we're in a beautiful part of the country, and it's a nice, cool day. We had some fresh snow, so it's, a, it's a great day to be here.
0: So, the season's changing already, so we got a little snow on the ground. What's the temperature outside?
1: You know, it's actually warming up. I think we're about 40 degrees today, but um, hopefully it's staying cold on the mountain because we need to get out there and, and shred a little bit this season.
0: There we go. There we go. Sounds great. Well, listen, we always like to start with the early years. Um, you know, where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your early family life, Vince. You know, I, I really have a
1: kind of a unique story uh, for that. I'm sure you've heard a lot of unique stories. But, um, you know, I grew up, I was born here in Farmington, New Mexico. And um, had a sibling, a um, sister who was two years younger. And when I was in third grade, um, my dad got involved, had gotten involved in a tax pro- pro- protesting movement and uh, decided that we were going to move to Alaska to live off the land. Um, wow. So, with the, had several other families, we loaded up, sold everything we owned, and moved to Alaska, and the adventure began. Um, we lived up there for a while and tried to. Try to make a go at it and did things like, you know, odd jobs and gold. You know, they even panned for gold for a while and try to make that work. And it was an adventure. I loved it. And uh, then we ended up back into the desert in Tonopah, Arizona. Um, Lived there for about a year. Um, Eventually settled in Colorado again. Um, And uh, I went to high school in Colorado Springs, Colorado, the Air Force Academy. And uh, during my senior year, my parents moved back to Farmington. Um, we had family here and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life at that point, And I'm sure we'll dig in deeper. Um, yeah. I eventually came back and, um, put down roots here and, um, it's been really good for me and my family. I, I really love this area of the world.
0: Been there ever since. What ages were you up in Alaska?
1: You know, so I was up there, you know, we only stayed for probably about four to six months. So I was okay. in third grade, but I have right. vivid, vivid memories of that. I mean, um, thankfully, um, I do have memories because it was just it was like the wild west um, <laughs> i can enough. remember you know chasing chasing wild animals around playing outside and two in the morning with the sun and um, fishing for salmon that were bigger than i was um, it was it was amazing
0: was your dad an entrepreneur did he have a corporate job before you went up there it sounds like he's a bit of a free spirit
1: Yeah, he was. um, And he's part of my story for sure growing up, um, as I think everybody's fathers are. But, you know, he was a a union electrician. Mm. And uh, so, you know, even, um, you know, we moved a lot. You know, a lot of people asked me if I was in the military and really had a lot to do with him chasing work um, around the country. And, uh, you know, we had several different locations through that story. I kind of summarized it a little bit, but, um, yeah, I did that for years. And then he actually started the business that I, I own today. Oh. Um, and, uh, they, you know, my mom was a nurse and they had moved to Texas. Um, and he was working in the oil field and she was working as a home health and hospice nurse and they wanted to come back to town because, um, their parents all lived here and, and we do we love this area of the country and so they ended up coming back and starting um the basin health companies um with my mom my dad um, my ex-wife was a cna for him. my mom was a nurse my dad did administrative work mm-hmm. and uh they had a receptionist and you know he uh he definitely has a he has a gift when it comes to managing people and just his people skills were amazing and he excelled it was an opportunity for him to really get and find his niche and inspired me a great deal um, in some of the other things I did before coming into this business.
0: When you think about those childhood years, what what were some of the fondest memories you had of dad and maybe some of the lessons you learned at that time?
1: You know, I was telling somebody today, we were talking about my dad a little bit, and he was definitely, uh, you know, now he's the most kind, gentle man I've ever met in my life. But growing up, he was was hard. His expectations were hard. You know, he... uh, definitely wanted me to work. Um I I tell jokes all the time about how he had me dig ditches and then after I tell him I was done he'd have me go fill them back in and and That's it, it maybe did <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: it maybe didn't work exactly like that, but he definitely really created a, a strong work ethic in me and um uh, making sure that I had I was disciplined and and was doing things to develop skills that obviously um came later on in life. But you know, he was a man of <clears throat> um integrity. He had strong ethics. Um, he definitely was passionate about what he believed in. And uh, you know, he, he stood by his convictions. And that's mm-hmm. definitely something that that played a strong role into my development growing up.
0: Sounds like mom was kind of the first entry into the home health care hospice area. What do you remember about her? What kind of lessons that you picked up as a child from mom?
1: You know, she, growing up,
0: she was my,
1: um, she stayed at home. And yeah. in fact, she didn't work. Um, I, I kind of think about when people say that, you know, they can't make it with it unless they have two incomes in their family. But we did not have a whole lot growing up. Um, we weren't necessarily poor, but there was times where we definitely ate beans and potatoes for a few days <laughs> while we were waiting for something to come in. But, you know, she um, she was definitely a homemaker and uh, really a kind individual and she same thing when she became a nurse, it was just something that just suited her personality so well. Um, and she's service oriented and you know, this idea for this business was hers. Um, and my dad kind of supported her, you know, after years of her following him around the country and doing Mm -hmm. things that he wanted to do, which definitely was out of the box. Um, I think when she decided she wanted to do this and they, they went full in, um, he pulled out his retirement that he had with his, um, you know, with his union and uh, with a couple of other investments from some family friends. They started the business and um, took a huge risk at doing that. And, you know, my mom, she was an expert in the field and, and truly visionary. I mean, she has a reputation, you know, not only in our state, but on a national level of, of the things she's accomplished and the impact she had in this industry early on. Um So, you know, both of them definitely played a strong role in in, um, not only my life, but in so many others. I mean, they made a positive impact in people's lives, you know, everywhere they went.
0: What about other influencers? Was there, you know, any grandparents on the scene, any favorite coaches or teachers that made a difference for you, Vince? Yeah, I think early on, I was, I
1: was thinking about this a little bit, um, you know, kind of put my thoughts together as an interview. And, and one of the things that I, I kind of forget about that really had a huge impact early on was my uncle. And, mm. you know, he was actually my dad's uncle. So he's my great uncle. And um, we, um, he lived in Phoenix, he was a school teacher, and he um, was buying properties, and he would buy these properties. He'd work on, on them in the summer times and fix them up and get them ready. And he created a huge business of, you know, just a real estate portfolio of rental properties. And mm. he told me about that. And I did that early on. I mean, I started doing that when I was, I think, I bought my first property when I was 22. And I still own that property. As a matter of fact, um, I have dozens of properties now. And and really, he was. He was the one that influenced me for that. And I can remember sitting around when he came come to visit with his kids were, you know, my age. So we, you know, we had a lot in common. We spent a lot of time together. And I can remember sitting around and listening to him and my dad talk these harebrained ideas of how they were going to do some sort of business or, you know, their, their next whatever that thing was. And And usually it was just a lot of brainstorming and them sitting around talking about these things. But... You know that definitely inspired myself and my cousin um, to this day. He's a colonel in the, in the army, but he does the same thing, and we both have built a pretty large real estate portfolio. And I think my uncle—I um, haven't told him that I, probably enough—but he was a strong influencer there, and I'm glad he did it because I probably wouldn't have taken a lot of the risk I did if it wasn't for, for listening to him and and the things that he had inspired me to do.
0: Real estate can be one of the some of the best. Uh ongoing subscription quote unquote income that you can generate
1: yeah you know and i have a 22 year old son now and he's wanting to get into real estate and do the same thing he's actually graduating on december 10th with his uh master's in global business management and uh but he is on fire to buy his first property and he's watched me do it and he's got some great ideas he's learning and um it, it has been really good to me um it was something that i could get into um back it was a lot easier. You know in the early 1900s and and going into the 2000s up until 2008 but um you know it, th- those are things that i think a lot of people um you know they they think about wanting to get involved in real estate but they don't quite understand how to do it and why they need to do it but you know you people are always going to need somewhere to live and if you do it right and you create high quality properties that people are going to want to be in and take care of your renters and you know, put out a good product like anything else yeah. um, is definitely a blessing um, for not only the people who own the properties, but I think you 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 can bless people who are you know living there and rent from you as well, and that's right. Uh, right. that feels good.
0: So. Residual income and the appreciation, which is a great conversation. I, interestingly, my father and his brother, my uncle, got into the same business growing up. And I think when my dad retired about the same year I started working, was earning about $25,000 a year. But ended up, you know, growing these properties that were purchased for ten, twelve grand to now today are probably worth a million to two million. So, you know, that's. A, well,
1: that's they definitely simple. they definitely did a, um, a little bit better than I did. I think that I know that when we got into it, I know. I, I look back and <clears throat> I had over a million dollars worth of properties before I was 40. And, wow. uh, you know, awesome. to be able to do that, you know, and then when they, you start paying those things off and you start seeing the, the, the payoff down the line, um, it just happens exponentially. Feels and good. it makes your life so yeah. much easier. It's worth the sacrifice when that happens for yeah. sure.
0: So that sounds like a pretty good entrepreneurial uh, experience that you had early on. Any other entrepreneurial things you did before you got into hospital?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, my my background, I, when I I went to college, but I really didn't know what I was going to do, didn't have a clue. In fact, um, when I graduated high school, um, you know, I don't think anybody really talked to me about that. I didn't have money. Uh, My family didn't have money. Um, I really didn't know how to, You know, no one, even our counselors at school hadn't really talked to me about, hey, you can borrow money, which thank God I didn't. Um, (laughs) I think that's one of the things that I really think is one of the worst forms of debt, you know, out there. But um, Student
0: loans, I think. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Student loans, for sure. And so I I moved back to Farmington and went to the community college here, which turned out to be a huge blessing as well. And I think a lot of the opportunities I had in my life were because I came to a town where it was easy to stand out. And mm-hmm. um, I ended up going to school way longer than I should have because um, I was just interested in so many different things. Um, I took every class imaginable. I think it took me three or four years to get an associate's degree. Um, but I got into the fire service. And, yeah. um, and and prior to the fire service, I was working in outdoor recreation as a raft guide and rock climbing instructor. And um, I got in the fire service and I was able to blend those two um, kind of you know, industries. And I started my business, Arroyo Rescue and Recreational Training in 1997. And that grew to a a business where, you know, today we have clients all around the world, work with um, governments, military, um, you know, police departments, fire departments, industrial teams. um, And, you know, it all kind of started with my love for water rescue. And, you know, because I was working as a raft guide and, and because I was working with, you know, rock climbing, we were doing rope rescue, and it transitioned really well. And I had some real life experience. And then going in the fire service, I got some real life experience there. Um, eventually, um, went, you know, was part of a FEMA urban search and rescue um, team. There was 28 teams in the United States, and I was eventually the highest rank deployable rank on that team for New Mexico, and went to, you know, like Hurricane Katrina. Um, Hurricane Rita, some different large disasters and got to just build this skill set. And that business was definitely, you know, it's, even though I had a passion for real estate and I still do, I really enjoy that. I love that. Um, you know, it was, it was unique and there was a whole lot of people doing it. And it was something that, you know even though I was doing it in my community and people would say well there was not a big calling for people needing those skills you know you got one police department one fire department <clears throat> but you got to think out larger than that and um next thing you know I was you know had a reputation to be able to work with <clears throat> other countries and other you know languages and things of that and uh, that was probably <clears throat> my still to this day what my baby and I I I still love it, even though I don't do nearly as much with that because I have so much responsibility in this new role. Um, but those were the big ones. And, you know, when I was a kid, I was, I was thinking about this too. When did this all start? And I can remember making nunchucks. You know, I'd go, <laughs> buy, I'd go buy dowels and chains, and I'd make these nunchucks. i spray paint them, and I'd sell them at school um, until I got in trouble. Um, back in that day, I think it was a little, a little less controversial, but I still think I got in trouble. And I remember making lollipops at home. Um, Buying the molds and and the syrup and all that stuff and selling those at school. So I always knew and thought that I was going to do something along those lines. Um, And, you know, working with the fire department, I had that time and the energy to want to do something bigger and to expand. And so property and rescue training was just fit that niche. Yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit about that kind of that progression because it's very interesting. And you and know, I spoke about this when we spoke a month month or ago as we prepared for the for the podcast. And you, know, you started in the, in the fire department, came battalion chief, you know, had increasing levels of you know responsibility at the state and national international level. Got into rescue and then hospice. And, and, and you know, they're related but they're very different. So can you tell us a little bit about those transitions and you know what were some of the thoughts that you went through as you went from one of those you know industries and sectors to the next.
1: Yeah, and it's. I always look back at this, and I think you know, trying to connect the dots, and it makes sense now. But back then, you know, you're like, how did that work? And <laughs> I, I definitely, um, you know, think that there were some things that were definitely related to service. Everything mm. I did, everything I wanted to do was service related. That's you a know, common I, thread, isn't it? Yes, and it, I think it's an important thing that people need to have something bigger themselves in their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was retired from the fire service and I was, I was basically working full-time, teaching, um, traveling, and, and in a lot of regards, I was living, living the dream, right? I was going to places I never thought I'd be able to go, to countries, working in... You know, I remember the first time I went to Dubai to do some work and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> um, and I ended up volunteering for an organization called Team Rubicon. It was a disaster relief organization that takes veterans and help reintegrate them into civilian life through continued service. And, you know, I miss the camaraderie of the fire service and the response aspect. And it gave me that, and it kind of gave me that sense of value and worth again. And eventually, as I started volunteering with them after a few disasters, they offered me a job and I worked as a director of Um, field operations for them. So I was responsible for all our volunteers um, going out and and doing the actual work in the field. Um, And then I created a program which was all about training and mentoring new leaders to be able to run these disasters. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people that could take, you know, 100 people, put them out in the middle of a disaster, make sure that you have transportation, you can feed them, you can house them you're tracking your information that you need for the agencies you're working for in a way that they can use it for, you know, for FEMA or whatever, the World Health Organization, whatever it might be, and and really keep these people safe. I mean, there's so many different levels there. Um, and I had a skill set there. And so we'd go out there and we'd mentor and train these leaders to be able to run these disasters or create depth. And I think that in any organization, that's what you're looking for, right? You're, you're trying to identify leaders, people with, with skill sets, and then you're trying to develop them and, and take them and, and create depth in your organization um, and helping reduce liability as well. I think that's, that's a huge part of that too. Make sure that people are safe. Uh, <clears throat> so that was service oriented. I'd love that. And I still love that organization. And I still volunteer for them. It's been a while since I've been out. But in 2016, um, my sister who worked for my parents for over 20 years, um, Unfortunately, she committed suicide, and uh, she lost her life. And my, she was in the process of buying the businesses from my my parents. And my dad came to me and said, "Hey, you know, <clears throat> we have a lot of responsibility there. A lot of people depending on us, mm-hmm. but we are struggling being there because you know every time we go in, we think of your sister. We see your sister. We're, we're grieving. We're we're mourning." Um, And I did some soul searching there and I said, is this something I really want to do? And of course, I love the challenge, um, something new, learning something new, um, trying something new, but I wanted to make sure that I did it right and for the right reasons. And then I looked at what we do in home health and hospice, and we have many different branches and different things, aspects of that, but it was all about service. Um, We serve a a population, um, a strong part of our population that we serve are people who cannot and will not ever get better, and we provide caregivers for them so that they can live independently in in their homes. And we're creating jobs for people who probably live in areas where they couldn't work and and wouldn't be able to find other work. Um, And we give them a skill set, something that makes them feel more value and a sense of worth. And it's super rewarding. And so I, that was the tie there with service. Um, and, you know, I try to keep that in mind. And speaking of that, you know, one of the things with my sister, um, I really think, you know, when she was dealing with her mental health issues and stresses in life, like we all do, um, she had really become detached from a lot of different things. And I, I saw where service in team Rubicon were a lot of people who had fought depression, post-traumatic stress, different aspects of life, how they could, you know, find value in life again through continued service. Mm -hmm. And so it's something I preach about all the time, because I think there's a tremendous value in that. Um, when people, you know, struggle, um, find something bigger and better than yourself to give back.
0: feel bad. Go to a children's hospital. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was it hard to make that transition from the rescue to home health, you know, and, and all the good reasons for doing it and taking it over from your parents and so forth. But Um, you know, you spent a lot of time in that industry.
1: You know, it was hard. I mean, especially when I started looking at financing, I'll tell you that, that was a huge thing when you look at um, the, you know, when, when I was talking, I was thinking about numbers that i never really had it, you know, imagined that I would be dealing with, you know, before. And so that was overwhelming and the risk that was involved there. Um, But i miss response but i can stay involved in that i mean luckily um i've created a system where if something happens um i go and get my fix um up for adventure or service or whatever it is to be able to continue to do that but you know i i just right now i find so much value in creating jobs Mm -hmm. and i think that just you know you look at the big picture and and what you're doing there and the you know people who are able to spend a career um, making a living and take care of their family and then retiring you know through our business that gives me a, a great sense of self-worth yeah. um and then you know we're, we're having a huge impact on the community and i enjoy that as well and we do that through other service and things that we're doing in our community so um you know the transition's fine and you know sooner or later something will change and i'll find another aspect is something that I want to do and need to do, and uh, I'll pursue that, but right now this is definitely something that I'm passionate about.
0: So at Basin Home Health, how many employees today, how many people do you serve, and what's your footprint?
1: So, um, we're in three different counties in our area, um, and we're in northwest New Mexico. We have 700 employees, approximately. Um, And we're the largest private employer in in the town I live in, where we're based out of. And then um, we have probably close to 800 clients or patients that we serve on a rotating basis. Um, We do hospice, we do caregiving, we do therapy and nursing in people's homes. Um, And they all have different aspects, but really our, our goal is to keep people at home and healthy For as long as possible, you know. Are you
0: growing the the footprint, growing the business as well? Or we
1: are. um, You know, one of the things was was really challenging. I didn't think this would happen this way, but you know, COVID um, had a huge impact on us. Um, You know, here I thought, you know, nobody's going to want to go to the hospital. No, you know, no one's going to want to go to nursing homes and things like that. Um, They're probably some of the most dangerous places to be. They want to stay home, but they also did not necessarily want us in their home. And people were not going to the hospitals, which meant that they weren't getting refers, you know, we weren't getting people referred to us um, as it came out. So that had a, that had a big impact. So we are in a rebuilding stage right now and I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. I I did a podcast um, last week um, for home health and hospice and we talked about that we're kind of sharpening the tip of our spear. We're finding ways to rebuild a strong foundation of just basic foundational skills to make sure that we are prepped for the next growth opportunity, whatever that might be. Um, And uh, there's definitely a great amount of opportunity. Um, There's challenges. You know, we cannot raise our prices. Um, We are dealing with government payers um, and insurance companies on everything we do. Most of those rates are set. Um, but we do have some some great opportunities moving forward in the future, and I have a growth mindset all the time. So I'm always planting seeds, always planting seeds, and waiting for something to sprout and to grow up. So so
0: 700 uh, employees. Tell us about the time, Vince, when you first started managing people, and you know what were some of the challenges you had back then. I, I assume it's back in the fire department days, correct? Well, you know, I or did before that.
1: I, I when I I ran an outdoor program at a college for a while here locally. Mm. Um, and it was my first, and I was a young, I I think I was in my early twenties, having some employees there, um, just a couple, but it was a good opportunity to really learn some skills. Um, I was, I was lucky to have some good mentors, but going in the fire service, you know, I, when I became a captain, I was the youngest captain ever promoted in the history of our department that has since been beat. Um, you know, someone younger promoted after me. And, and then when I became a battalion chief, I was the youngest captain or youngest battalion chief as well. That brought some real challenges. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was telling a story at a, a presentation I did not long ago. And I said, you know, you, you know, your ego is kind of like, okay, you know, people are going to be excited to work for me. I scored number one on the test, you know, I'm young, I'm, I'm excited. But what, what I forgot to realize is that the people that are working for me are people who also took that test. They've yeah. been a, you know, trying to promote and trying to, to move up through the ranks as well.
0: So and I got to... Probably some that have been there years, if not decades ahead of you too.
1: Exactly. And, your... and so, yeah, it gave me a lot of opportunity to, to grow there and to learn. And, and uh, really, you know, my philosophy very early on was, you know, I've got to look at people and their experiences. I mean, it, it'd be- so naive of me to believe that I know more than those people with decades of experience, even though I was the one that promoted. Um, And so how I handled those people and how I was able to engage them and, and create a team was a really, was a really great learning opportunity and experience. Um, And uh, that probably was the best experience ever to move on into greater things. And I can remember, you know, in hurricane Katrina, when we went out, you know, I was working with, we had a hundred people out there doing rescue. We were one of the first urban search and rescue teams out there. And because I had a background in water rescue, which by the way, had really nothing to do with floods. Um, mm. You know, and it, it gave me experience that really made me a better instructor and a better leader too. But um, I was able to uh, move up through the ranks, through that experience by making sure that I, you know, took those leadership experiences and handled them with humility Mm -hmm. and with the the right, you know, perspective to be successful. Um, and eventually, you know, once again, as I got more responsibility and managing more people and you just, you just learn more. And sometimes it happens real quickly. And for others, it might take decades, um, I will say that I think you've got to put yourself out there. You know, if there's new leaders and they're thinking, you got to look for opportunities to challenge yourself because, you know, no growth is ever going to happen in your comfort zone. And, um, you know, th- thankfully, I, I enjoy chaos and I feel like I thrive in <laughs> chaos. Not everybody can do that. But those are opportunities for growth for me. And I really look at, you know, change and any opportunity to, to challenge myself as, okay, this is a growth opportunity. Not... Mm-hmm. I'm prepared. I'm ready. I'm going to just rock this. I look at more. This is an opportunity for me to learn. And if I approach this correctly, utilize the resources I have, which is usually your people and your team, treat them appropriately and and, and be able to, to use their skill sets, which in many times are greater than your own. You know, you can be successful and you come out of that. And even sometimes when it hurts and you you learn some hard lessons and maybe things didn't go the way you wanted to, you you gotta you gotta grab that lesson. You're missing an opportunity right. if you don't.
0: Right? How would you say your leadership style has kind of really evolved over time in the current role versus kind of where you started back in those you know those small teams?
1: Well, I definitely think that you know there's a strong service-based leadership. You know, Robert Greenleaf wrote on service leadership and I became a student of that really early on. And I think that's a big, big part. And I think relationships is the other. And you can tie the two together and you can say, okay, there's something called followership. And Mm. I think a lot of people misunderstand that term. And so part of being a good leader is knowing when to lead and when to follow. And you know, and there's a lot of times you may have the official title of, leadership, of leader for the organization, but it's more appropriate for you to put someone else in a role because of their expertise and their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And if you do that correctly, and even, you know, and we've all worked for bad bosses. Um, I think, you know, I've learned as much from a bad boss as I learned from a good boss. But, you know, <laughs> not
0: more sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> part of my part of the ethics and morality of that is, you know, you need to go out there and you need to help that person be successful. And if you disagree, you know, there, you should be able to find a way to address that, identify it, talk about it. But in the end, when the commander's intent goes out, and I'm sure there's other terms for that, you hmm. know, it's our, our role and our responsibility to, you know, make sure that we follow that. Um, if it's illegal, unethical or dangerous, those are the exceptions to that. Yeah, But I think, You know, ego plays a powerful role, too. And um, we've got to check our ego in both a leadership role and a follower role um, and know when it's appropriate. And if you can be a good follower, you can be a good leader. And I think that's a really important thing. And if you do it right, if the roles were reversed and you treat those people right as a leader, they're going to treat you right when they become a leader.
0: Amen. Beyond kind of the basic qualifications for a job, you know, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire it?
1: personality absolutely is the number one thing um i tell our staff all the time when we interview um that we want to hire personalities Um, we can teach somebody to do the job yeah um but you can't always teach somebody to be a good person right um and you know and that goes so far as attitude you know positive attitudes optimism you know a lot of people you know, I think people who are optimistic sometimes get a bad rap in certain circles and, you know, people feel like, you know, it's fake or whatever, but man, it's so much better than the alternative, which is negativity. And, um, you know, so we really thrive because I think we get, try to put the right people in the seat and, and, you know, we've made mistakes and it's kind of funny because I don't micromanage our hiring process. Um, you know, I set some guidance and and we get people out there and we'll give some people a shot and turns out to be the wrong person, or you can tell that, you know, we made a mistake in that realm and, you know, that's a great learning experience for the people who had those people work for them or work with them. Um, and so, you know, ethics are important, you know, integrity, all those types of things. But I think that when it comes down to it, you know, the happy, positive, optimistic people are usually, you know, follow, follow that the majority of the time. It's not always true. I mean, you know there's people out there that are chameleons for sure, but yeah. um, we've been lucky with that so far and it's worked well, you know, through, you know, the majority of my life.
0: Awesome. Vince, we're just about out of time and we've got one last question we always ask and I'm gonna give it a little bit of a different spin today because of, you know, your history and kind of the interesting in somewhat tragic way, you had to obviously, you know, commit to the family business. So the question is, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone maybe who has their eyes on a corner office, but you know, it's a family business and maybe they had some, you know, reservations about doing so and, you know, but maybe life circumstances not unlike your own kind of force them into it. I know I've got a couple of kids that I'd love to take over my business someday. Neither of them are showing any interest. <laughs> so I've got to sit in this going, hey, how do I go down down that road? But what would you say someone like that who you know has that type of an opportunity to either go into a family business or buy one or, you know, gets potentially inserted into one as you did?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I can tell you that when we, my dad, when I retired from the fire department, he asked me if I want to get involved with the family business. Yeah. And I told him absolutely not.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember you telling me that. Yeah, yeah,
1: I did. I, I, I said, no, I do not want to. And a lot of it's because I saw the dynamics between my parents and my sister and the yeah. strains yeah. sometimes put on the relationship and stuff like that. Um, now, that being said, when I came in, Um, I had to think about that. And I I definitely, I said, you know, I want to have the, I want to have control. Um, That being said, I need you for your expertise, your knowledge, but I want to be the final say in decisions. Um, And, and I think everybody probably has a different perspective of that. And, 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 you know, and I think, you know, a different level of, do I like go that control or, you know, is this person going to be able to really do things the way they want to, but Um, one, I think my parents knew my personality. I think that's a big thing is, you know, you've got to want to do it for the right right reasons. If you're doing it because you want to be in charge and it's an ego thing or because you're just chasing dollars or something like that, those are not the right reasons. Um, You got to be out there because you want to make a difference. And, you know, really you want to take care of your people. Um, And, you know, that being said, you know, I have a daughter who's working for me now and she's moved into an administrative role. And, we have a great working relationship, and she's doing amazing, and she's well respected. But there's a challenge there because you know a lot of times the employees might look at that and say, "Well, the nepotism, you know, <laughs> right. you're just hiring this person because you're a family problem. member." Yeah. yeah, but if she didn't have the skill sets and she wasn't able to do the things that she's been able to do, she wouldn't have been, she wouldn't be successful. And she is killing it. And then my son has asked me if, if there's an opportunity for him to get involved in the business. And I've told him no. And the reason mm. is he, th- that kid is capable of so many amazing things. I'm so proud of him and I know he's going to be a success, but I don't want him to have, cause this is a stressful business. And with my daughter, she had, she was a nurse. My son yeah. has this entrepreneur spirit like I did. And I know he's going to go on, he's going to do great things. And I'm going to support him in those things because, um, you know there's there's a lot of risk sometimes involved so i think it takes a really good clarity from everybody involved to look at that and what your skill sets and what you have to offer and what your real intentions are about wanting to do something like that um and you know i know if my son got involved he would learn it he would be successful he'd do a great job but i also know that there's a lot of risk and liability in this industry and um you know i think that he's going to have probably a lot more joy in doing something that, that he's creating on his own and, and finding his way and he may make his way back to me. I'm not sure where that is, but right now I want to support him in those other things. But I will tell you there's five things that I tell those kids that are super important. I'll tell you everybody, regardless of whether it's a family business or you're going on your own one is relationships are important. It's the most important thing. You know, everybody you come across is someone who's a potential customer, a potential um you know, boss, and a potential, potential employee, someone you might do business with, and you've got to mentor those things. Networking is such an important thing. You've got to find mentors and, you know, um, mentors, and you've got to be, be willing to mentor others when you get to that, that realm. You've got to make sure you take care of yourself as a primary thing. And, and, you know, with that, your physical fitness, your mental health, your emotional health. And we forget about that. Sometimes we get involved and you got to check your e- ego, and you gotta make sure you're doing things for the right right reasons. And you know, there's always someone out there smarter and better. But you know, if you can tie those things into it, if you're getting involved in a family business, really, you know, do that soul searching and figuring out a way the way it makes makes it work and I think make it your own. And I've seen where other individuals with similar opportunities have been successful and, and there's been failures as well. Um, but you know, I wouldn't necessarily tell people just jump into a family business just because, you know, your family enjoyed it. You got to do what you want to. You, you really, you got to be passionate about whatever you're doing and find your why, you know, if you can find your why and you can connect those, then it's great. And, um, you know, if not, I mean, there's so many opportunities. And for me, I want my kids to be more successful than I am. I want them to, to, you know, do more. And, you know, to me, that's my legacy. My legacy is not this business It's my kids. Um, when it's all said and done, you know, when I leave, people are gonna forget the things I did in the fire service and, you know, urban search rescue and rescue. And I've had a tremendous amount of impact there, but my kids and my grandkid, now I have a grandson as well. You know, that's that's our true legacy and I want them to, to find their why and to be able to be successful in life.
0: Basin Home Health and Hospice is a state certified Medicare and Medicaid home health agency that provides professional services to over 800 clients in northern New Mexico, Vince Moffett is their CEO. Thank you so much, Vince, for sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: Thank you, Brad. It's really enjoyed talking to you.